Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. Today's show is a replay of our most recent Track Talks event entitled The Politics of Land Use Development. Our guest was Dr. Timothy Bray, who is the director of the Institute for Public Policy Research at the University of Texas at Dallas. He is also an associate professor of public policy at the university. Dr. Bray met with our members virtually on May 18th to discuss whether there's a need for regional thinking when it comes to land use, housing, and commercial development. We're very grateful to Dr. Bray for his time, and we'd also like to thank our sponsor, Bell Nunnally Attorneys and Counselors, for its support of Track Talks. Before we begin, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app if you have not already done so. It's the best way to get all new episodes right to your mobile device. We publish a variety of event replays like this one, as well as roundtable discussions and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest drivers of the commercial real estate industry here in DFW. Once you subscribe, you should also follow Trek on social media, where you'll find all the latest news and updates from around the Real Estate Council. We've linked to each of our handles and podcast links in the show notes, so go check those out. Now, here's our latest Trek Talks event with Dr. Timothy Bray of the University of Texas at Dallas, right here on TrackCast. Um. Wanted to introduce Dr. Timothy Bray. He is the director of the Institute uh, for Urban Policy Research at University of Texas at Dallas. And he's also on the faculty um, for the School of Economic, Political, and Policy Sciences at UT Dallas, where he teaches public policy, political economy, social data analysis, uh, research programs, and teaches graduate and upper division courses in quantitative methodologies. and um, structural correlates of social disorganization. <laughs> you have to explain that one, Dr. Bray. <laughs> um, he also serves uh, for, uh, on the Institute's National Neighborhood Indicators Partnership, and he uh, received a PhD in criminology from the University of Missouri, St. Louis. And prior to earning his doctorate, he was an assistant bureau chief with the Illinois State Police, where he headed the strategic and operational research units. And after leaving the state police, Dr. Bray was awarded an achievement medal for his innovative approach to solving contemporary and traditional policing issues. Um, his current research focuses on the development of multi-dimensional indicators for quality of life and disparities in quality of life and the collective efficacy of private-public community-based partnerships. Uh, his research includes the development and application of hierarchical models to explain variation in neighborhood levels of social distort, dislo, dislocations, including assessing and controlling for spatial dependence in the data. That's a mouthful. Yeah, that's a <laughs> deliberately long story. <laughs> okay, well, you'll have to share it at some point with us. Uh, he's a native uh, of St. Louis, and he has uh, a wife and five daughters. Thank you, Dr. Ray, for coming. And now we want to hear from Heath Cheek, whose company, Bell sponsors Trek Talks. I, I don't have much to add um, beyond what, what we offered, but uh, thank you all for being here and welcome to Trek Talks. We're, Bell Nunley is proud to sponsor uh, Trek Talks again this year. Um, 
and Dr. Bray, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, we know that Dallas is an urban city and a state that is increasingly urban, and as Texas is becoming more urban, it may be a difficult concept to wrap our heads around um, the fact that this is an urban state rather than a rural state anymore, since so much of our land mass is rural. Um, but uh, Texas is home to three of the country's most populous cities, Dallas, Houston, and Austin. Um, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, Austin, San Antonio are all just one huge urban mega region, according to Rice University's Kinder Institute. Uh, this evening, Dr. Ray will be bringing the discussion closer to home when he addresses the politics of land use and whether there is a need for regional thinking when it comes to land use, housing, and commercial development. Um, thank you all for being here, and I'll turn it over to Dr. Bray. Thank you so much, and thanks for that kind introduction. Lori, I apologize. You got the academic version of the bio, uh, which is uh, inflated, I think is the word to use, um, with as many syllables as possible, because that, that means something somewhere. Uh, but I, I do appreciate the, the warm welcome. Um, my background is in criminology. I was trained as a criminologist at the University of Missouri-St. Louis after having worked for uh, the state police in Illinois and for local police departments in, uh, in Missouri. I wound up going to graduate school, coming to UTD to teach criminology, spent about three years doing that, and then was recruited to start what was the J. McDonald Williams Institute, uh, started by Don Williams of Trammell Crow uh, background. Uh, we did a lot of work in communities, and in 2008, we brought that institute back to UT Dallas, where um, I had never really left the faculty, but uh, came back in a, in a different capacity, and over time began teaching more in the public policy space, um, having watched the interaction of state, local, and, um, and, and to some extent, regional conversations in Texas. So let me go ahead and share my screen. One and let's see here and share and screen and share and voila, I think we are sharing. Okay. So in that context, I wanted to, to sort of just tee up a conversation tonight and hopefully more of a conversation and, and less of a lecture on um, what I would title regional considerations in development. And I titled it that way, um, and as I shared with Lori, we had several conversations. Uh, I used to be on the board of the North Texas Housing Coalition, uh, and we, we, we convened a group of mayors once. Um, these were mayors from all over North Texas, and we were down at the Dallas Fed, and we, we posed the question, do we have a regional housing strategy? Um, and, and the answer, of course, from the mayors was no, which on paper is correct. We do not have a regional housing strategy. But that doesn't mean that builders are building without any strategy. The strategy that they're using is designed to achieve the goals of, uh, of their companies. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the net result is um, it's sort of hit or miss. And it doesn't necessarily uh, meet the needs of everybody in the community. Not that needs aren't being met, but it's a little bit more scattershot, right? Um, and so the argument that we don't have a regional housing plan is somewhat untrue because we do have a plan. The plan is to maximize the return on your investment in, in your housing corporation. And so that keyed up a conversation about what regionalism um, would look like. And so I want to toss off uh, a simple definition of, uh, of what we mean when we say region, right? And this 
idea of a regional landscape. And, and I would say that the knitted fabric of our lived experience is regional, but the institutions governing our experience are fixed in time and space. Now, all that means is this, think back to March of 2020, as COVID restrictions are starting to come out, we don't know much about how this disease is working. And Dallas County shuts down restaurants. And the county judge in Collin County says, all jobs are essential. We're not shutting anything down. But then McKinney shuts some things down, but not Plano. Then Plano shuts some things down. It's not like nobody from Dallas County drove across the county line and went out to eat in Richardson right, or went out to eat in Plano before Plano restaurants closed. We have a very regional um, lifestyle, but a lot of our infrastructure is still managed, planned, and executed at levels of government that aren't necessarily regional, county and city, all right? Um, and I would just point you to uh, Dallas City Council member Kara Mendelson, whose Dallas City Council District has residents living in Denton County, Collin County, and Dallas County, and whose pursuit during the pandemic was to get one picture of what's going on with COVID in her district. And she can't because the, the building blocks used to discuss COVID were county level government entities, all right? So we, we pose a really interesting conversation. If we say region, and we should be working together, uh, it introduces some, uh, some what we would call um, systems thinking problems, right? The first is we have to define what a region is. Now, this is a, a definition um, that I like from uh, Douglas Powell. And Powell says, re and this is the longest block of text, by the way, on this, uh, this PowerPoint deck. So um, for those of you who love text, this is your treat. Region then is not a thing in itself a stable and bounded object of study. My assertion, Powell says, is that just as community is for Raymond Williams a warmly persuasive word to describe an existing set of relationships or the warmly persuasive word to describe an alternative set of relationships, region is always at some level an attempt to persuade as much as it is to describe because the set of relationships intersecting at any one point on the landscape is potentially unsummarizable by any one account. All attempts to, uh, all versions of region are necessarily partial and hence an attempt to persuade at the very least of the validity of their own particular definitions. And let me, okay, I'm gonna get away from that because I wanna sum up for you, right? Regions are purpose-driven. We create regions to put a box around things we want to manage. Um, regions don't exist on their own. Regions exist because someone has created them and regions are fluid, all right? The definition of a region changes as the purpose changes. Regions are socially constructed. We all agree to what they are. Regions themselves lack authority because they're socially constructed. And regionalism is a verb. Now, I want to toss out a simple example. We're going to come back to this example on the next slide. Um, the, the Dallas-Fort Worth airport and the phrase metroplex. 
Metroplex was a marketing term created with the launch of the Dallas-Fort Worth airport to convince people that there was a region here. Um, that's, that's where Metroplex came from. And Metroplex, believe it or not, I found out from the former chancellor of uh, Dallas College, formerly the Dallas Community College District, Metroplex has a loaded history depending upon who you talk to in, in North Texas, all right? Um, so some folks prefer that the region be called North Texas. Some folks prefer Dallas-Fort Worth. The folks in Arlington really appreciate the census definition, which is Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington. Uh, and some folks just call it Dallas and just call it Fort Worth. All of this is to say that we have, when we, when we go into a conversation about regionalism, we find ourselves having to first confront what the heck do we mean by region and who's in and who's out. So a very brief history uh, of our walk down um, the regionalism lane in North Texas. Uh, I'll start with a story that I was told, many of you have probably heard it as well, about Eamon Carter and his lunch. Uh, Eamon Carter was mayor of Fort Worth and the story goes uh, that Eamon Carter would always bring a sack lunch when he had a meeting in Dallas because he refused to put a dime into the Dallas economy. Um, now, I've heard it from enough people that I'm convinced some part of it is true, but I'll admit that the only people who've told me are Dallas people. So I'd be interested to learn what the Fort Worth version of that story uh, looks like, right? I, I use this story to sort of frame this conversation that regionalism can be a gamble. Um, in some perspectives, there's something to give up. There's a power exchange. When we talk about shifting gears, when we talk about working together, by definition, some of our autonomy disappears, which is why I introduced the, the Dallas-Fort Worth Regional Airport. Uh, left to our own devices, we would not have a DFW Regional Airport. We have a DFW regional airport because the FAA got involved and said, we're not funding two airports anymore. Um, that instigated a conversation that was overdue about how our two cities, and at the time it was basically the cities, work together on something, right? Now, it is a long and storied story, I guess is the way we would say that, right? Um, that even got into, those of you who are here long enough know the Wright Amendment and the Wright Amendment, which forbade flights to any state that didn't touch Texas out of Love Field in, in an effort to encourage folks to use the Dallas-Fort Worth Regional Airport and not Love Field. Um, and you know, I, I have a, a very good friend who works for Southwest and the story at the time was, if you called Southwest and said, do you fly to St. Louis? The answer was no, we don't fly to St. Louis. We fly to Little Rock and we fly from Little Rock to St. Louis, but we don't fly to St. Louis. Uh, they weren't even allowed to book you a ticket that way. Um, again, in an attempt to urge regional collaboration. And for those of us who are new to, um, to North Texas, we kind of just take Dallas-Fort Worth Airport for granted. Uh, but it was actually a battle. It was a long battle um, that wound up, you know, I think working and serving us very well, but there's a re reason that it sits exactly half in Dallas County and half in Tarrant County, right? It, it, and it has to do with that 
that collaboration and that shared power. Uh, and then one that you know I I remember fondly from my work with um, Dan Petty, uh, formerly at um, uh, at the uh, and now of course the name escapes me, um, but Dan worked on the Olympic bid and the Super Bowl bid, and Dan liked to use this phrase coopetition, right? And his argument was, instead of us going as the city of Dallas and making a bid for the Super Bowl and the city of Fort Worth and making a bid for the Super Bowl or the Olympics, let's go as a region together. And then once we win it, we can fight about who's gonna get the AFC hotel and who's gonna get the NFC hotel. But in the meantime, we make a much stronger argument working together, right? So over a course of about 60 years, you began to see a real shift in the regional perspective uh, in North Texas. Now, we haven't completely warmed to the idea, uh, but we are further than, than we were uh, 50 years ago. So some examples about this fluid scale, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metropolitan um, Planning Organization or the, or the transit agency, the federally, uh, the regional transportation uh, organizing group that goes to the uh, Highway Administration for dollars, they encompass roughly 12 counties and parts of another one. Um, the Census Bureau's Dallas Plano Irving Metropolitan Statistical Area, seven counties, but seven counties defined socially with a different set of criteria. The MPO is designed around a shared highway infrastructure. The MSA is designed around who has commercial connections with, uh, with Dallas County. Uh, the even broader Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington core-based statistical area, 13 counties. Um, the regional chamber, uh, an unstated number of counties, right? Truly, you understand when you talk to the chamber that Dallas is a concept, not a map, right? They include an argument for things beyond just the city of Dallas to the point that you now have an East Dallas Chamber of Commerce and an Oak Cliff Chamber of Commerce. These regions overlap. And finally, the one that we'll come back to um, in just a second is, you know, the, the North Central Texas Council of Governments, and it's a framework in Texas, the Council of Government framework, uh, which includes a 16 county region. It really is a framework for us to look at for managing regional approaches. So the Council of Governments gives us, um, for instance, they, they, do, they are the home of our metropolitan planning organization, our transit organization, so to speak, that goes and does highway planning. Uh, they do have some work in um, code, building code development, right? Uh, but here we have a place where elected members from every county and every city government have a seat at the table and discuss planning issues. They're at a variety of um, uh, they're they're at a variety of points in formalized networking in these, and we'll talk about those in a moment. I just throw that on the table as I, I think what is a really good example of a way we could uh, we could be doing it right. So, for instance, we have a regional stormwater management coordinating council. Um, all of the cities and county governments at the table talking about how we handle stormwater runoff how we handle drainage, how we handle um, environmental impacts and concerns. They're of course the Metropolitan Planning Organization, the MPO. They handle our, um, 
our highway, our work with the FHA. Um, and then finally, not through the COG, but rapid transit, right? We have a governing body for the Dallas area rapid transit that includes member cities elected representatives. So different cities who are participating in DART have a different number of seats at the table um, where they make a, uh, a set of collaborative transit decisions. Now, in another conversation, we can talk about ways we could actually do transit a little bit better, which might include not requiring people, to, uh, cities to buy in. Um, we're not quite there yet when we talk about regional development or land use planning. Now we do, we have land use data at the region, but we still have a lot of siloed decisions being made within cities about what's going to go where and how. Um, and we'll talk about the implications for that. And again, uh, we, we don't have a regional housing plan. Cities are making housing decisions. Um, but as I'm sure you have examples, there are folks who live in the city of Dallas who don't work there. There's folks who work in the city of Dallas that don't live there. We should be having a regional conversation around housing. Okay, now, um, in 2006, Fry and his colleagues released a scale for talking about um, collaboration, right? And I, I want to show you each of the steps on this scale, and then we can talk a little bit about where different organizations are connecting. Um, so at the, at the foot, at the bottom of the scale, you have siloed operations. Um, we might be pleasantly aware of each other. Right, My city and your city might acknowledge that the other exists, but we have no use for each other. We really don't consult on decisions. We just do the things that we choose to do the way we choose to do them. Once you elevate to a level of networking, um, you, are, you are working with your peer cities, all right? But independently, in other words, and I think I just dropped everybody's faces on my, there we go. <laughs> Things are moving around on my screen. Um, you're aware of each other, but you make your own decisions, but at least you're talking. So in the, in the case of a regional planning effort, we might let each other know if we've landed a new employer. We might let each other know if we have uh, a new commercial development that's coming to our city, but that's the extent of it. All right, think of it as a cocktail hour. We're sharing comments and, and information. The next step is where I think we're starting to see some traction. When we cooperate, we share information and we have a formal regimented communications process. We have a way of talking to each other. Now, think about this um, as the way in that, that our cities and counties work with each other. City, county um, quite often have a formal method of communication through interlocal agreements uh, that governs the relationship between the county and cities or two cities might have an interlocal agreement that governs, for instance, uh, mutual aid and emergency response. We're aware of each other and we have a regular method for exchanging information, but that method is formal. When we step up from cooperation and we get into coordination, we begin to share information and resources, all right? So we start going after collective, for instance, funding sources. Uh, and we have some shared decision-making. 
So think about this, for instance, as, um, as what we're doing with, uh, for instance, Dart, all right? So in Dart, we have shared decision-making and we have a, um, and we sort of have a, a vote, if you will. Um, everybody's got a vote at the table, but I'm still doing as my own city, my own transit thing, all right? I'm, I'm involved in Dart, but I'm doing other stuff in my city that's, that might not have anything to do with DART and is still in the transit space. Coalition, we began to see um, a, uh, we, we began to see a sort of a shared responsibility, all right? Um, we prioritize frequent communications around a set of topics. And here, there is no action without a vote. All right, we don't move forward without each other. Think here now about like our MPO. So our Metropolitan Planning Organization, um, once we as a city, or, or sorry, as an MPO, decide to go to the Federal Highway Administration and ask for dollars, another city doesn't go and do an end run and also go up and ask for some extra dollars on their own, all right? So there is shared action, shared responsibility, but we still have individual organizations. And lastly, we have what we would call collaboration. Collaboration, these organizations belong to a single system and build consensus on joint action. Um, this, is a, this is a level of, collabor of, of interoperability that we very rarely see. So think about collaboration as like the um, joint metro governments that you see in, um, in some Florida cities uh, Nashville, I think, has one, right, where there's a city-county shared government. Um, they, they function as one. Um, that's a level that, you know, that, that's still a little bit far away from us in Texas. I would suggest that, you know, when we, when we think about land use planning, when we think about um, sort of a coordinated approach for commercial development, we, we're probably at networking right? Our cities are talking to each other about what's going on. There may be some, some cooperation on, uh, on borderland issues. So I'm thinking of the, the Plano-Frisco um, border um, uh, at 121 and um, not the tollway, uh, but in, in, uh, in Collin County, right? We have Plano and Frisco working together on things, but not in any sort of a long-term way, um, long-term meaning uh, around a set of goals. Um, I think, you know, when we were talking to, to mayors about regional housing plans, the number one takeaway that we got was that mayors, um, when you say plan to, to the elected leaders that we spoke to, they saw it as restrictive that when we talked about a regional plan, they were thinking about them having their hands tied. Uh, one of the mayors said, it'll be a cold day in hell before anybody lives above a store in my town, right? We were talking about mixed use development. Um, that town, by the way, this was 10 years ago, that town has a dozen or so mixed use developments now. Um, but his read of his people at that time was, it would be a cold day in hell. And if I enter into this regional plan, I have to commit to do things that aren't in the best interest of my city, right? So, you know, as we start talking about how to engage our government leaders, 
around these sorts of shared planning opportunities, uh, I think what we have to help them recognize is, is it's already happening. But a lot of times our governments are not at the table. Developers are making regional decisions because they're building in multiple cities. They're investing in multiple cities. Um, but there's not a, uh, on the government side of the house, there's not necessarily something for them to plug into on a region-wide level. So we wind up with um, what we would call the good old-fashioned opportunity cost. For starters, we have a hell of a loss of efficiency um, because you're making, as a developer, lots of one-off requests and lots of one-off um, uh, lots of one-off sort of deals, right? Um, you're dealing with this city here and this city over here, and each of those cities may have a widely different set of expectations, development costs, permitting processes, um, stages of the development plan. One of the, the great ones that we've, we've, we've used as an example uh, was the, the tree offset that the city of Dallas had that basically resulted in um, dampening development in southern city of Dallas because there were so many trees you couldn't possibly put one tree back for every tree that you took off to uh, to build uh, to build the parcel right um, that sort of thing doesn't exist in northern Collin County where all of this recovered farmland in Anna and Melissa has absolutely nothing encumbering you um, although you might have some trees along a creek line your bargaining or your decision surface is constantly shifting because as cities race each other to attract development, your decision surface constantly switches. So who's got the best deal today may not be who has the best deal tomorrow, which results in a shorter time horizon for planning purposes, right? You wind up really having a difficult, um, a difficult trying to lay out, let's say, a two or three year roadmap, because a lot of our cities are still coming into their own, um, especially the, the newer suburbs. Uh, growth has vastly outpaced the infrastructure that they've, that they've got. Uh, and their long range land use planning is coming along, but it's subject to change because they don't know when the next Nebraska Furniture Mart is going to come in and decide it wants to uh, to make a substantial development. And when that happens, they reevaluate the enti their entire plan. And that's a good thing, but the reality is absent a, a, a fixed structure that that plugs into, it's very difficult for them to make uh, the, the sort of trade-off decisions. And, and so I would leave with that, you know, what we have is sort of a regression to the mean. Um, there, there's a city that neighbors us, and I'll, I'll slip shortly into uh, less of a commercial side and more of a housing side, but land use decisions matter. We have a number of, of developments, um, Sunnyvale in Dallas County, uh, Lucas in Collin County, where early desires were, you know, lots of one acre residential lots, little commercial development, uh, but that has real implications for sustainability for local municipal services like uh, the ability to staff a police department, um, the ability to support schools uh, in, in the community, right? If, if no one ever moves out of their home, um, then when your kids are gone, you find yourself where Lucas 
uh, where Lovejoy ISD is, where they're shutting down an elementary school because the population has uh, has has shifted. So all of this is to say, um, and 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 the COVID pandemic has rattled our cages enough to help us realize this is really a thing, right? Um, this lack of planning, this lack of an infrastructure uh, that is coordinated across more than my little city or your little city is something that really does um, inhibit our ability to grow as a region. I was fortunate enough to participate in uh, a regional planning exercise for North Texas uh, that Cobb was putting on several years ago. And, you know, there's, there is not a singular vision about what North Texas should be. Uh, there is not a singular vision about how we should be arranged. So should we have lots of skylines, Frisco, Irving, Richardson, with this sort of nodal design? Or should we have a strong uh, central, uh, you know, big sort of big city pile in the middle and everybody lives on the outside? We've got city planners who are operating under different modalities in that space. Um, it creates also uh, the lack of a forum, the lack of a place for us to have this conversation, right? Um, I think places like Trek are a place to begin this dialogue, but we've got to engage with, um, we've got to engage with the COG, we've got to find a way to engage local government around the need to have a, um, a wider perspective than, than just the projects in my city or just my city's five-year uh, horizon. And with that, um, I, I'd like to leave some time for conversation. So, uh, Lori, I'm, uh, I'll throw the question and answer slide up. I said I didn't want this to be a lecture uh, because the semester ended this week. Um, so, with that, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation and less of a, <laughs> and less of a, a talk. I'll jump in, I have a question. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Bray, I was wondering to what extent um, do you think some of the planning has occurred in a way that we have really facilitated the growth and the development and the attractiveness of the suburbs at the expense of the city. So when I think of uh, transportation in terms of the, uh, the development of the tollway, certainly where yeah. you increased the ease of access for people to live in the suburbs and come down to the city. But it's not just within transportation. I also think about, I, I am sure there are people in a variety of different cities within Collin County. I, I grew up in Plano myself mm -hmm. uh, that have their own sort of regional um, artistic groups like, you know, chamber symphonies or things like that. But certainly nothing of the uh, caliber that I would say of like the uh, Dallas Symphony or yeah. the ability to attract some really large dynamic things that uh, we will then host, you know, within Dallas proper in the arts district and, and people will come and we might benefit from how they will spend their money for the evening should they decide to eat out here and yet facility maintenance and things like that, that burden is not spread regionally. And I was wondering sort of if you could comment on that and, you know, what is the, what are some of the ideas that you might have for how to, sure. to solve that, acknowledging it's not a problem to be solved, but an issue that will need yeah. to be managed. 
Well, and so I would, I would start with, you know, from a systems thinking standpoint, and I, I teach a course on wicked social problems, which is a, uh, which is a sociological term for problems that are seemingly intractable. And one of the things we talk about in that class is um, that, you know, there are, there are, there are boundaries within which these decisions are made. So cities have city councils. City councils exist already, right? So they're making land use plans. They, there's a vehicle by which those conversations are facilitated and happen. Um, that doesn't, there is, no, there is no simple, regular, recurring dynamic by which Richardson and Dallas are talking about how they're gonna develop along 635 or Spring Valley, right? That, that's just not a conversation, that's not a place. There's no place for that conversation. And so <clears throat> you have these, what we would call interstitial spaces where what happens happens. Um, because it, it's not just the training that has sort of resulted in the suburbs, it's that there's not a dialogue by which we connect. When, when I first got involved with um, the Williams Institute, you know, there was this conversation about uh, is Dallas on the same path as Detroit um, with where, where you have this sort of emptied out city, right? And a city doesn't work like a donut. The region can't survive a weak Dallas. We have to have a strong core to the many things you just mentioned, Courtney, right? Um, fine arts, right? Do we have uh, that fine arts hub? Do we have a, a commercial hub? I think one of the one of the things that's different in North Texas is we're beginning to see a, a model where we might, we might be growing a nodal system. We have a, um, we have a financial core that isn't in downtown Dallas, right? We have, you know, we have industry segments that are popping up at different places in, in the region and things like the tollway are the connective tissue um, that, that connects these things together. I think, um, you know, when we talk about economic development, when we talk about economic activity, that we have an event that attracts people, that books hotel rooms, that um, keeps our restaurants busy, those sorts of things, those conversations tend to happen in places like the chamber. Um, and the chamber is connected to all the cities, but the cities don't necessarily connect to each other um, in a formal, regularized way. I think one of the other things that's happened in the suburbs is um, it, it's, I'm told, I'm not a developer, I'm told it's cheaper to develop in the suburbs because the land is already flat, the trees are already gone, you know, you're taking a, a former field and turning it into a subdivision or turning it into a commercial development. I'm thinking of um, the villages at Allen and the vi villages at Fairview, right? Great commercial developments, largely flat land there to begin with. Uh, you didn't have to clear a lot of trees. It was sort of a turnkey um, operation. I think that's been a real boon for the suburbs. They, they've got a, they've got a, they're starting off ahead of everybody else to begin with, right? Um, I think on top of that, when a lot of this was developed, you had a fairly unsophisticated development system in the suburbs. And so, they weren't trying to burden you with a lot of, um, with a lot of extra steps that uh, an older city like a Dallas might because they've been around the block a couple times, right? 
Um, so I, I think, you know, the, where we need to do, and this, this would, again, track the chamber, both very well situated to be a place where this conversation can happen. I, I know city planners uh, in Plano, I know city planners in Dallas. I think they're eager for these kinds of conversations, but those conversations are informal, right? Um, it's who you know and your network is sort of sharing what's going on. There's not a vehicle by which these communications are regularized and strategically engaged in. That's the piece that's missing. I feel like I just did another lecture, I apologize. Does that even remotely answer the question? It, it does, and so since I, I, I don't have a lot of people, it looks like that I'm competing with to ask them and jump in and ask another one. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned, you know, growing up in uh, Plano with a, you know, largely single family uh, community types of developments and um, was certainly somewhat aware in early adulthood of their seeming disdain for um, apartments and, you know, apartment dwellers, although you would certainly have your two-story um, to three-story sometimes garden apartments throughout. And I've looked at some of the decisions that they've, they've made in regards to zoning where in some ways it seems like they have just really doubled down on trying mm -hmm. not to, to allow that. And when you juxtapose that a little bit against what we have going on with Dallas, we sometimes wonder if the, uh, you know, the amount of single-family housing that we have within the city um, where uh, admittedly participating in that myself, where you kind of want to dip your toe and, and get some of the benefits of single family residents while you still stay very connected to, uh, you know, downtown only being truly a 15 minute max type of right. a, a commute or things like that. And have just sometimes wondered if the, the revolution that has to occur is sort of this decision to say, no, the city of Dallas in order to address housing, in order to become a world-class city, has to simply become far more urban, which means if you want to maintain a single family type of a, a lifestyle, um, unfortunately, you're going to have to simply move further out because this is not a part of our vision to the future. And I was just wondering if you could um, weigh in on your opinion of, of that idea and what some of your thoughts are. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think, so this, the multifamily, single family um, divide, uh, as, as I'm sitting here, uh, I live in Allen, and I'm looking at materials from two runoff candidates that were left on my door on Saturday. And one of them says, I prefer single family neighborhoods over multifamily developments. Neighbors and neighborhoods made Allen what it is today. Let's grow it that way. As though you don't have neighbors in a multifamily um, development, right? Um, there is a lot of there is a lot of value positioning going on in that sentence. Um, and uh, very often, multifamily is synonymous with, um, with poor. Although I can't afford to live in any of the multifamily housing that people are proposing to, to build up here, right? A $500,000 townhome is outside of my, uh, my price range. But I think where you're getting at, Courtney, is there's a, there's a density. Right? There is a, um, there's a real demand for us to achieve the density required yes, to support. Sorry, I'm not sure what that was. Uh, <laughs> there's a density required for us to support the way of life that, that we desire to be. I remember 2005 or six, uh, it was a big milestone because 5,000 people lived downtown and, and the morning news ran a big story 
about how 5,000 people live downtown. But in a way, that's a barometer for the vitality of the city, right? When I, when I first started working down there, um, you know, you'd come out of the office at five o'clock, everybody was shutting their businesses down, everything was done for the day. That's just not a vibrant space. And, and multifamily is a key to that. Now, I think my preference is um, uh, mixed use, mixed income, mixed format, right? That you have to have, uh, you have to have a product that attracts all walks of life, um, that has both commercial development and residential development to create that sort of community vitality. Uh, and, and I don't know that you can't do that if you think of uh, West Dallas and La Bajada and uh, you know, you've got sort of the condos coming up on the south side of Singleton and you've got a lot of the original single family. Um, you know, my, my fear there is when we looked at uh, housing in Dallas for the wholeness index, we looked at what someone could afford making the median income in the city, right? And you have a, a whole swath of single family homes where I can, it's all affordable. I can afford three or four of them, right? They're 25,000 each. Um, and then you have this gap and what's happening is, and I think it's still that way, although less, um, middle income families are leaving the city. Right, they're, they're going to Mesquite, they're going to Garland, they're going to Grand Prairie, they're going to Cedar Hill where they can afford a middle income home because we don't have that product in the city. One of the ways we can get that product in the city is in multifamily. Um, because I can, you know, now the trick is with things like Clyde Warren and Main Street Park and these other sort of community assets coming online, you can begin to create a place, oh yeah, there's a place to walk the dog, there's a place for the kids to go play. You know, it's not, um, it's not apartment living tailored to single or dual income, no kids. There's a, there's a, a family feel to that. I think, you know, the, the trick is, and people have said this for some time, until we get families in downtown Dallas, we're not going to truly reach that density and that urban vibe that, that we need. Um, I, I think that portends interesting things for uh, like the M streets and Hollywood Heights and um, uh, East Lakewood and, you know, these sort of, because they are a budding commercial development along Gaston. They're a budding commercial development along Greenville. I think there's a way for those to still exist, right? Um, but you may take that, um, that commercial frontage and look at developing a higher density residential along the curb there, right? where you get that mixed, uh, that mixed use, mixed income, mixed format development. Um, I'll jump in. Um, Courtney, I'm also a, a Plano, uh, <laughs> Plano grad, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's the Plano hour this evening. But uh, <laughs> actually, I, uh, I, went, I grew up in Parker, uh, which mm. is near Lucas. So yeah, that's another one of those communities that's a two-acre minimum. Yep. And so very, very much an anomaly, especially with everything growing up around it, with Murphy and with Allen and Wiley and all of the other municipalities that are kind of, I mean, literally growing up around us. Um, it, it is really unusual to find a, a municipality like Parker that has I mean, virtually no development except for South Fork Ranch and has no intention of supporting any kind of development except for right. what we've got. So um, it's, it's, it's rare. Um, 
this is a fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for, for joining us and doing this for us. I was really struck um, talking about the Olympics and the Super Bowl. I also think back to Boeing. Uh, oh, yeah. And of course, you know, HQ2 here with Amazon. And, you know, I think the, the Dallas Regional Chamber did a fabulous job of, of bringing us together. Um, you know, I, I think about how, um, how we put together our bid uh, and, you know, the things that were revealed to us about education uh, and how, how vitally important that is to attracting corporations, uh, our transportation infrastructure. Um, so, you know, I also go back to the, the note that you made about Amy Carter and, and this, you know, ongoing rivalry between Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, you know, it, it is interesting um, you know, we have a Fort Worth office because we can't do business in Fort Worth without it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people who, who, you know, with JPS and some of the bond packages that are coming out, they will want to see a Fort Worth address and an 817 area code, uh, you know, as part of our, our bid for those types of projects. And so to me, um, you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, we also have an Austin office and the image behind me actually happens to be some of our work at the domain. Uh, and mm-hmm. so when I think about the domain coming up as sort of a second downtown for Austin uh, mm-hmm. and the huge amount of dense development that's there. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I sort of see that. And, and I think you referenced that in Irving and Plano and, and some of these other municipalities that are building up um, largely corporate development right. um, versus, you know, Las Colinas that has the urban center and there's much more of a mixed use there. But, you know, I, I look at what, what we have learned from things like Boeing and HQ2 and some of these other things where we're in competition with other regions, what should we have learned from all of that stuff? What, you know, if, if we're trying to create a, a nucleus or, or some kind of a, a combined uh, front for these things, and you talk about building cooperation, coordination, developing a coalition, and then finally collaboration, I mean, those are the kinds of things where uh, I just, I see our region really needing to, to come together and be more proactive uh, and, and foster those kinds of discussions so that we can be ready for the next one. And, you know, if it, if it means we need, you know, six different downtowns. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that's likely, but it just, it seems like, you know, those are the kinds of things that ultimately um, corporations that look to, to relocate and, and certainly Trek and the DRC are really active in, in those types of pursuits. So what can we be doing to bring ourselves together uh, in advance of, of the next one? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I think, you know, it, the, the, the story I was told about Boeing was that um, one of the, the, the CEOs and their wives, or at least one of the wives, came in, um, you know, in an unguided self-tour and were shocked to see that everything was closed um, in, in the evening in downtown, right? And, you know, I contrast that with just a few years ago, I was at an event for UT Dallas down at the Jewel, and I mean, there were people everywhere. Uh, and there were car lights everywhere. It was just fantastic. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the word that keeps coming back to me is vibrant and identity. Uh, Chicago's got an identity. Seattle's got an identity. I think, I think Dallas is honing in on an identity. I think we're coming out of the oil tycoon, uh, J.R. Ewing 80s brand, right? Um, and, you know, we're starting to get a sort of young, hip, vibe, tech. Uh, I go back to, you know, um, uh, we, we did a little bit of quantitative work for the chamber on that pitch for HQ2. And, and we looked at, uh, uh, you know, young adults and who's moving into to, uh, to, uh, to Dallas and who's moving into Uptown and things like that. I think 
we need to we need to have a um, we need to have more of vibrancy. We need to have more of life. I, and I mentioned early on, right? Regionalism is a verb. It's not. It's it's yes. It's a noun. It's a way of looking at things. But it's a dedicated activity, right? And so organizations like TREC, like the Greater Dallas Planning Council, where we've got voices from all over the region, we've you know these these are these are really great ways of creating that fabric that ties us together. I think strategically we need to take that next step, right? So what does it mean to create um, a policy council, so to speak, where we can, you know, and, and some of this is going on at the COG. So for instance, the COG um, has a great exercise where they look at which cities have adopted which building codes and they promulgate what they would sort of call a model building code for um, for the cities in North Texas and they want them all to sort of grab onto that. What if we had something like that around form and place and placemaking? Uh, I, I think placemaking is a real, um, it's a real departure from just building, just filling up the land. And you know, I, there's the, the, Sam, uh, the Sam's Club that Dallas approved um, completely in opposition to its land use plan because a, a, a buyer came along and wanted to do something and we were so hungry, right? And I think a lot of cities are, they wanna see that development and they don't often recognize that their power goes beyond the power to say no, right? They have a power to, to shape what that engagement looks like and how that development uh, contributes to the lived reality of, uh, of neighborhood uh, of neighbors uh, you know and so I think that that the, the sort of next step right is for us to lock into that um, that appropriate role of city to connect the fabric of their community through the development work that they do and then to connect cities and a, a great example in the parks and rec space is the trail networks our cities are talking to each other on um, on where the trails will connect and things like that, and they're they're deliberately developing trail networks so that we have hundreds of miles that you could bike. Um, we don't necessarily do that uh, in the built environment, at least not not to the same degree. Um, I think partly that's because most trail development is you know government funded or private donors who have given money to the government to build the trail, there's not a third party commercial voice in the room. And yet when I talk to a lot of, uh, of the commercial folks, they want that. They want what they build to be a part of something bigger, right? Um, I think there's an appetite for that in the commercial community that, um, that cities would be well advised to rise up and meet, help us be a part of what's going on in, in, in this community. How does the, you know, regionalism when you're kind of actively doing it um, and it is supposed to lend itself to a, um, a cooperative, uh, you know, a teamwork type environment, but I, I think Brooks had a really good point in terms of, um, you know, area codes, for example, and doing business in Fort Worth, and there is truly this huge desire for an 817 area code. And I find that 
in a lot of different um, yeah. uh, industries. It's sort of grown beyond what I, I thought it once was. And yet at the same time, you have a region that hangs on very tightly to the Dallas identity, right? I mean, UT Dallas, not UT yeah. Richardson, even right. though it is not in the city of Dallas. Right. And um, there have been, uh, you know, you look at, I think kind of similarly within the UNT system where we do have the, the Dallas campus and yet, right. um, you know, there's a lot of that branding in some ways it, it seems like that is what attracts, um, is that just the identity and the history of, of what that means. Is there a way to, or are there any other cities that you can kind of point to that were able to find a way to use that strong pull or that desire to identify even when it is not located within that to the so, benefit of that other city? Yeah, the, so part of the challenge is our size. Um, we're far bigger than, you know, I think of Charlotte Mecklenburg. Um, where you know you've got Mecklenburg County, you've got the city of Charlotte, but you don't have another city the size of Charlotte 30 miles away that thinks they should be the Charlotte, right? And and it's and so we have this, um, you know, it, we have a, a a branding in Fort Worth which is distinctively different than Dallas. Dallas is oil, Fort, Fort Worth is cows and cowboys and sort of that wild west and. I think we've got to find a way for both of those identities to exist, right? That there is a, um, that, that there's a mega identity, which is DFW, that is bigger than the tech glitz side of Dallas and the sort of laid back Sundance Square vibe that you have in Fort Worth, where both of those are complementary uh, and, and, they and they contribute to each other. You know, I, I've got friends in Fort Worth who like to come and hang out in Dallas. I've got, I, I like to go hang out in Fort Worth at Sundance Square and eat on the patio. And, you know, there's, it's a great symbiosis. Um, and I, I think if we could ease into this fact that we are actually symbiotic, that, that what's happening here feeds off of what's happening there, um, then, then you get less of that. I, I, we, you know, we, we work with a lot of nonprofits and, and city governments and somebody was really upset that we had a contract uh, and we weren't in the city of Dallas. Now, admittedly, my building on the campus is in the city of Dallas. It's as far north as you can go in the city of Dallas and still be inside. Um, but, you know, I don't think that's what people meant, right? They didn't mean, oh, well, wait a second, you're technically, you're three feet into Dallas, so that's okay. Um, there was, there, that, that was a proxy for something else. Uh, and and, and this, is a, this is a sort of a tension, right? The, um, well, do you live in Dallas? No, you live in Collin County. Well, yeah, but, you know, when Tom Leppert was elected mayor of Dallas, in a way, I was excited. He's what the decisions Dallas makes, the decisions Fort Worth make, affect the whole region. Um, they don't simply affect the, the, the siloed vacuum of the city of Dallas. And so I really do think if we could embrace our differences, right, that, that we actually have much more diversity in our region um, than a whole lot of places do. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know um, Minneapolis, St. Paul that well. I've been to a couple conferences there, but I get a sense that there's a much greater difference between Fort Worth and Dallas 
than there is between Minneapolis and St. Paul, right? And I think that works to our advantage. Um, if you're talking about luring corporate development, um, you could be, you know, your, your employees could find any one of a dozen places that are radically different. Um, you go south of I-30 and you've got lots of hills and lots of green space, but if, if you want big sky, it's, you know, it's north of seven, uh, north of uh, Tollway, right? When you, when you get this sort of big flat, big sky, watch the clouds roll in, you can have either one of those and be 30 minutes from work. Um, that's a real win for us. Uh, you know, but we've, we kind of have to rise, we have to rise above it, um, which is, you know, we've been on this journey since the 40s, we'll, we'll still be on it. I, I don't know how much time we have left, but I, you know, this notion of binary cities is pretty fascinating. You know, you can name uh, quite a few, you know, Raleigh-Durham is one that comes to mind yeah. and some friends that are there and the research triangle thing is such a, a, a productive and, and kind of amazing thing that they've managed to, to create there. Um, you know, I just, it, it seems like, uh, you know, are, are there examples and is that one of them maybe where some of these binary cities uh, have, have really worked well together? Yeah, I, I think that's an example. I think we have a lot going for us um, in North Texas. You know, I, I think that there are, uh, there, the universities are working together um, in ways we haven't before, right? We're having conversations about um, degree plans. And, you know, when we started our criminology program at UT Dallas, it was in consultation with North Texas that, of, of who's going to provide what and how are they going to, how they're going to connect. Uh, so I, I think there are, that we have all the ingredients, right? I think what we're missing is um, the policy and structural framework for these to happen. Like we have with the MPO, we don't really have a, a solid footing where, where government can engage and shape policy around what, what the building community is doing, what the residential community is doing, what, um, what corporate needs are. I mean, the chamber's asking, the chamber knows what, what businesses are looking for. You guys know what types of space people are looking to, you know, what, uh, we just built a new school in Allen, a new middle school. It's radically different from anything that I ever went to school in because the way kids learn is different, right? Um, those are the types of things that the idea of bigger, you know, we were I'm working with a church um, and, you know, they're talking about an educational building and the building they're gonna build now is not what they would have built before COVID, right? Much more open space, much um, uh, sort of bigger flex space to accommodate all sorts of spacing and distancing, which wasn't a concern before. Um, I think, you know, I, I think that there is, I think we are in, in many ways on the cutting edge of this stuff. Be, again, simply because of our size. Nobody else is a 1.2 million person city a, in a 2.1 million person county in a 6 million person um, region, right? Um, we're, we're sort of the Hulk in the room. Um, but, but we also still deal with our Bruce Banner Hulk uh, uh, dichotomy, right? Um, that, you know, that, that I think we haven't quite figured out uh, Professor Hulk yet, if you'll pardon my Marvel references. Um, but I think that, that you know, there, we're a lot further ahead than we give ourselves credit for, because we are so close. 
Um, so I, I, you know, I, I do think finding a way to stitch this into permanency um, where we kind of get that policy environment interacting with these collaborative environments where a lot of these conversations are happening, that's the next step. And Lori, I apologize. I didn't know if we were going till six or 6.30. I don't want to ask for another question if I'm already three minutes over. <laughs> You're muted, by the way. Oh, no, we're going to 6.30. So okay, good. People good, good. have as much uh, time yeah, to ask. So what, yeah, what other questions? questions? Well, I, so I, um, on the one hand, it's, you know, as I looked at the, the, the diagram that you provided and uh, the end result being collaboration, that automatically means you've got to have people that, um, that are leading in a very cooperative way. And so I think back on, you know, the very, what I consider to be favorable years of uh, you know, Mayor Rawlings and, and Mayor Price and yeah. how well they got along and things like that. And I think it didn't realize at the time um, how great that was for the entire region. But if you, if you don't have that, um, yeah. then, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I, I cannot really think of anything other than having perhaps those two, or if you create it with, you know, even this kind of policymakers round table of sorts, um, what would be the entity or that group that would come in well, and serve that role? And, and so you, you brought up something which I forgot to mention, right? We often think of cities as somewhat um, homogenous, but there are actually two different entities. There's the elected side, and then there's the staff side. And, and in a way, it's great that um, the two mayors got along but if the two staffs don't get along, then, then, you know, what, having worked in government, you keep your head down in four years, the, the, the politician's going to change and, and the winds are going to change and you just wait long enough and we'll get back to business as normal. One of the things we talk about um, are in my uh, Wicked Social Problems class is types of knowledge. One of the types of knowledge is called organizational knowledge. Um, think of this as the... Um, the knowledge that you maintain about how to navigate the building department, the, the building codes department at a city, right? Organizational knowledge is automatically oriented towards maintaining the status quo. That's why change is so hard, right? When someone says, well, it's the way we've always done it. One of the reasons it's the way we've always done it is because the knowledge we produce forms, we produce policies, we produce directives that are designed to ensure it's always done the same way. That negates change, right? And so almost you have to have a disruptive event. Uh, and, and I'll go back to criminal justice. Think about um, the, the impact of the social unrest after George Floyd. Conversations that police departments have not wanted to have for decades are being had in earnest, right? Because this disruptive event created a space for us to break out of that cycle of how we've always done it and look instead at what a different way might be. Uh, I don't know what the disruptive event would be 
um, in the sort of in the building space, right? I mean, you could imagine uh, some sort of natural disaster that caused everything to fall down and we've got to reinvent ourselves. That's not where we're at. Um, I think to the extent we can create the mechanisms that connect our staffs, right? Um, so that the, uh, and uh, um, the uh, American Planning Association does this for city planners, right? There's a, but it's more of a social and professional development than it is about um, a forum for uh, creating model codes and things like that, right? Um, so I, I think that there's, you know, the Council of Governments is probably a really good starting place for, um, for because all of the folks are already at the table. Um, you know, it, it's simply, hey, do we want to tackle housing? Do we want to tackle commercial development? beyond the sort of joint code, municipal code that, that we've all got. Um, can we, you know, can we talk about uh, prioritizing economic development that's tied to our MPO? So if we know where we're gonna lay the next big highway redo, um, would we start focusing our commercial development in those corridors? Uh, I suspect it already happens, but it kind of happens because somebody knows somebody who knows what's going on rather than a coordinated and systematic approach uh, where we, um, you know, where we would sort of get down and together and say, okay, let's prioritize this highway because we've got a lot of commercial activity that, that wants to come into this space, right? Uh, I don't know that that happens in a, in a strategic way rather than an ad hoc way. Well, it's it's interesting interesting in, in mentioning COG because I, I remember with our former transportation director uh, when it was you know coming to to issues around 345 for example I just remember sort of a, a quote that he gave um, that was something along the lines of um, you know COG is no longer going to dictate what kind of a city we are and how we are. Um, you know, laid out and, and things like that, because there have been a lot of emphasis, I think, over what COG said they could or couldn't do in regards yeah. to, to 345. So it's, you know, when you mention it in terms of like, well, there's already this structure, maybe we just tap into that. Um, just some of my limited exposure to that has been like, well, they seem to do things that are good for the, the region, perhaps, and make it very easy when I think of it, you know, primarily as transportation, as yeah. a way to get around that has created some of these issues that we're continuing yeah, to. Yeah, that's right. We've um, made it easier and battle. easier to get up to Sherman. Right. Um, well, yeah. but the other, the other side of that, and I think you bring up an important point, I'm not suggesting, I don't think, that the existing frameworks are the ones, but we have a, we have a place, right? We have the forum. We need to re or we need to constitute a different group that meets there, so to speak, right? We have a we have a place where we already have membership. We already have a, an established set of meetings for transit, or or maybe we change how we talk about transit, right? It's it's less. And this has been a criticism, um, not just of Cog, but of most transit in Texas, that the conversation always devolves to um, pavement. It always devolves to concrete. It never devolves to rail. It never devolves to, you know, some of the 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 other things that are also transit that other regions are talking about. Other regions are talking about high speed rail. Other regions are talking about a meaningful expansion of uh, of light rail or bus lanes or things that are um, that both 
decrease pollution and increase connectivity, right? Um, and, and that, you know, these two conversations maybe go hand in hand. I, you know, Mike Morris used to say, we can't pave our way, uh, we can't pave our way out of this problem. It, it, you know, there's, there's no amount of highway we can build that's going to accommodate another 10 million people uh, in North Texas. So that's not the reality. We've got to look instead to density, um, which I think is itself a building problem, right? Um, looking at how we revise code to allow more density. Think of the city of Dallas and auxiliary dwelling code, right? Where they're really, can we tweak this so that we can have auxiliary dwelling units on this property? Because somebody wants to rent out that garage uh, and the house over the garage on their super large uh, lot, but we weren't allowing them to. Um, so it, it is a, it is, it is a wholly different conversation than one that we've had before. I, I, so you're right. There, there are a lot of reasons why just tapping into an existing forum at the COG might not be the way to go, but, but the place exists. And at least the expectation is we all belong to it because um, we're already doing it for stormwater. We're already doing it for some of these other areas. Can we figure out how to do it for, uh, for the built environment? Lori, I don't know who else is is on. If they have any, yeah, any I questions, see. but I, um, I can't see the whole because I'm sharing my screen, so I can oh. I can't scroll that easily. You're on mute. I'm not certain if you're talking to us. Or... Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and I would, uh, I'll offer just because, um, because no one else is talking. Uh, you know, we have uh, an internship program that's been funded by uh, the, the Kuhn Family Foundation. And we're tackling, um, uh, we tackle the issues that directly affect poverty. And transportation and development are, you know, the, the easiest way to get somebody a job is to build a building where somebody's going to come and open up an office that needs employees, right? I mean, that's, that's a simple solution. Uh, so, you know, if you've got things like this that you want to bat around, uh, you know, we're always looking for little projects for the, the students to tackle. And if we can, uh, if we can sort of articulate the relationship to poverty, we've got uh, a, a group of probably next semester, 10 students who will be available. Okay, well, I've got, I'm gonna jump in and ask then what, this will be my last one, I promise. Um, so the, the ADU, which I thought was a really interesting point that you brought up, because to me that feels like a no brainer in terms of being able to provide mixed income housing and things like that. Yeah. And yet in one of our candidate forums in um, District 14, for example, um, you know, I, uh, one of the questions I asked is it seems as though, they support density as long as it's not in single family neighborhoods. They want it, you know, over on over the sides, giving it, you know, an increase in the FAR, things like that. And yeah. um, the comment, and, and he went into detail to, to try to explain his belief about how it actually increases property values because people then go out and ADUs end up costing, he said on average, $200,000. And I think there is, that's a, a separate 
conversation, but I saw it as an illustration of sort of the, a belief that I have that a part of what keeps us back is that we do not have a strong mayor form of government and truly dynamic cities have strong leaders that are, are guiding in a way where they are not simply one of 15 people sitting around a horseshoe. So mm -hmm. in that type of a conversation where understandably as you're trying to win a race and you're gonna to try to do it every two years, and if the majority of your district is made up of single family homes and they've decided that uh, that's the way they, they, they want it to be for a myriad of, of different reasons, right. right? That ultimately is always going to hold us back from, um, and, and so I'm curious if a part of the, a regional perspective, um, you know, if would would a strong mayor potentially kind of gum up the works or not necessarily help or contribute, or would it finally be a way of having somebody that speaks with a voice, um, not just uh, collaboratively the way perhaps you know Price and Rawlings did, right. but as somebody that can actually stay in and say like this is going to be the plan for the region because. I am the largest city within this region, and this is what we're going to do, sort of a, a approach, which admittedly yeah. does not follow along with that very <laughs> collaborative um, era that you had going, and you know, I understand. Well, that. remember, it's, it's collaborative if somebody goes with you, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, you can be the one who, who uh, announces it. I, I think you bring up a good point about um, the form of government, right, and, and you know, I mentioned the sort of the, the bifurcated, uh, you've got staff on one side and you've got elected leadership on the other side. I, I, that frankly is, it tends to make us slower to respond, right? Uh, because you've got the mayor wants to do X, the city manager wants to do Y. Um, it takes, what is it, 13 out of 15 votes or something like that to, uh, uh, to terminate a city manager. It's it's very hard to sort of exercise that political capital. Um, and, and frankly, when, you know, what we were working with the mayor's poverty task force, one of the big differences, because Mayor Rawlings patterned it off of what was going on in New York. Um, well, New York has a strong mayor. So when the mayor decides we're going to do X, Y, Z, the police chief has to do it or the police chief doesn't have a job. Um, the, you know, the, the housing department has to do it or the housing department doesn't have a job. We don't have that carrot and stick format here, right? Um, and so, you know, I, it's not impossible with, uh, with a, a council manager form of government, but almost you need the manager, the, the two city managers to be having those events rather than the two, uh, than the two mayors. And, and that I think is something that city staff is not necessarily, you know, we, we still, we celebrate people like a strong mayor system, even though we don't have a strong mayor, right? The mayor comes, everybody applauds, the two mayors talk, but that, that action layer doesn't automatically happen like it does when you have uh, a strong mayor system. So yeah, maybe we need to have um, a city manager's form, right? Not, not necessarily the elected leaders, mm -hmm. uh, but, but instead get the city managers together to talk about these issues. And, and I will say I've had occasion to work with several city managers. Um, they're ahead of the curve. I mean, they, you know, they really are thinking about, um, about these things because the other side of that is, you know, you've got two terms as the mayor, um, but you might have 
30 years as the city manager. And so you really are vested in what's going to happen here. Um, your job depends upon, you know, you're going to be measured against what's happening 15, 20, 25 years from now in a way uh, an elected official won't. Well, thank you, Dr. Bray, for all your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It. Thank you, Lori. For... Uh, well, thank you, Dr. Bray. This was so informative, and I really enjoyed it. And, I, and, and thank you, Courtney, for asking really great questions. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, well, I think we're going to wrap up. And um, I, this was very enlightening. I, I, like I said, to be repetitive, I truly enjoyed what you had to say and how you uh, pointed out things that, you know, we should consider uh, from a regional perspective. And so. You're welcome. I'm always happy to, to work with the great folks at Trek. I love what you guys do. Oh, great. Well, we'll eventually have you back, I'm sure, in one form or another. And um, have a great evening. And thank you, everyone, for uh, participating. Thanks, everybody. That's all for today's show. I'd like to again thank Dr. Timothy Bray of the University of Texas at Dallas for meeting with our members during our latest Trek Talks event. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Bell Nunnally Attorneys and Counselors, for its support of Trek Talks. Don't forget to subscribe to TrekCast on your preferred podcast app and follow us on social media. You can find links to each of our handles in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.